When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, GoAUfer. With me this week is Andy, GopherGuy05. Hello. Blake, Iowa Gopher. Let's see if I remember how to do this. And U Street. Hey, y'all. We are now uh, eight days, some number of hours, 21 and a half hours away from football. I don't know, something like that. There was a cal- there's a countdown somewhere. Andy saw it. I'm just guessing based on what I remember him saying. The point is, football is almost here, uh, which is extremely exciting despite the fact that you know COVID's still a thing. Uh, so we're gonna talk some football today. We're gonna talk about the alliance of nothingness uh, from the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of other great stuff, but let's kick it off uh, turning to Blake with football. Blake, you know, I, uh, we've been, you know, Tom's been doing an upgrade downgrade for all the positions, you know, this this preseason. I guess what's if if we start with the offense, what are what are your f- big things to look for from the offense as we uh, prepare for Ohio State? Uh, I'd have to think all eyes would be on Tanner Morgan and the wide receiver core. I mean, when you think about it, you've got the defending uh, Big Ten running back of the year coming back, and he'll be operating behind probably the deepest and most experienced offensive line we've seen in Minnesota in several years, probably since at least uh, 2014. Um, So you know the running game is going to be running probably full throttle most season, but I mean, to keep the defense from stacking the box, it's going to depend on which Tanner Morgan we get. Do we get the 2019 Tanner Morgan who broke school records? Or do we get the 2020 Tanner Morgan who, you know, had trouble getting off his first progression, was throwing into coverage, just never looked comfortable in the pocket. Um, I mean, he he won't have the benefit of of Rashad Bateman this year, although for two games last year, he didn't have the benefit of Rashad Bateman. So um, you look at, you know, Chris Ottman Bell, is he going to be ready to go by the season opener? I mean, ideally, and that's probably not the biggest game of the season. So you hope he's going to be available for most season, but behind him, you got, you know, Daniel Jackson, who had a good freshman year and just a lot of virtually unknown guys like Mike Brown Stevens. He's probably the elder statesman of that, of that younger upper underclassman group of wide receivers. Um, you had Dylan Wright, the transfer from Texas A&M. Uh, it's just a lot of unknowns in the wide receiver group, which we haven't been able to say uh, Minnesota under PJ Fleck for quite some time. So um, really just curious to see how, Tanner Morgan does with a full off season with his, uh, you know, co-offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford and quarterbacks coach um, just hoping for better there. I really think honestly the offense to me hinges on whether or not he can, you know, make the passing game respectable against big 10 defenses. But uh, yeah, to me, that's really what it comes down to. Defensively, you know, at this point, it seems like this might be the deepest defensive line we've had in a while. So that's a, that's a weird, uh, thing to hear from a you know to say about minnesota 
What catches your eye as the areas where you're worried um, with the defense? I, I uh, it's I'm kind of worried as a whole about the defense. I think there's a mentality in the offseason, and this is true of any fan base, to think that whatever you weren't good at last year is going to improve this offseason. Like everyone thinks they've got the best offseason. You know, guys are in the best shape of their life come fall camp. Um, and, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of guys that – need to improve from last year, need to take a step forward on Minnesota's defense, not, not the least of which is the linebacker core, which was just a mess. And not, a lot, not all of that was limited to Mariana Story Marin. You had a lot of young freshman, sophomore linebackers who were getting, seeing their first game action and um, were just really struggling to, you know, with their run fits, know their assignments, communicate effectively, um, just a lot of basic stuff, you know, playing fast. And that, to me, all I should be on the linebacker core. But, I mean, there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, you've got... Uh, a defensive line that I think is, yeah, as you said, probably one of the deepest they've had in quite some time. They'll have a six-man rotation at defensive tackle. Now that they've added in uh, the Clemson transfer, Niles Pinckney, and NC State's uh, Val Martin to go along with you know, D'Angelo Carter and Rashad Cheney, two freshmen that looked really good at times last year. I think we all, one of our favorite memories from last season would probably D'Angelo Carter's interception against Maryland because you just love to see a big man run with the football. Um, a defensive end positions probably I'm not as bullish as the defensive tackle positions. You, you've got Boye Mafe, who might be the most talented player on this defense, and more than likely we, is headed to the NFL next year. Um, Azizi Otomeo on the other side, two experienced defensive ends behind them. You got guys that need to grow up and mature a little bit, like you know Thomas Rush really struggled at times last season. You've got MJ Anderson behind Azizi Otomeo, but I don't think they're short on talent. You know they've got guys as freshmen like Jay Joyner and. Um, Jalen Logan Redding, that guys that just have the physical tools and the talent, but just need, are kind of unmolded clay at this point. Um, so, I mean, there's talent there, especially on the defensive line. At cornerback, you know, you've got a known commodity in Coney Durr. Who's going to be opposite him? We we don't really know. I think um, the obvious candidate would be Terrell Smith, but he's, you know, he's had his struggles over the past few years in coverage, especially, you know, avoiding getting too handsy with wide receivers when he gets beat. Um, you got Phil Powered, the converted wide receiver, who I thought – Actually, he played pretty well against Purdue last year. He's, he was great tackling in open space, against, especially against guys like um, David Bell and Rondale Moore, who are not easy to bring down. Um, but, I mean, the guy I'm, I'm most excited to see, but, I mean, they got a temper expectations. He's a true freshman. is Justin Wally, who was uh, probably, in my opinion, like the crown jewel or the hidden gem, I would say, is more appropriate of the recruiting classes last year. I just think he's a guy that is, is talented on both sides of the ball. I think in the spring game, you saw, you saw a little bit of action um, on offense. I don't know how common that'll be in the actual season but i just think he's a, a talented guy and you know the reports coming out of practice are, are very positive but you know, again he's a true freshman so you kind of got to temper expectations there and then at safety i mean this this is a thin group so you really need to have Tyler newbin and jordan howden take big step backs you know i think both from last year jordan howden struggled especially uh, in run support and tyler newbin just taking angles to the ball uh it need to be better need to be improved so uh, just really guys all over the field, they need to, to be improved and, and be better. And I think we all hope that with a full offseason, they'd be able to do it. But um, I, to me, I just very nervous about this first game against Ohio State. It's, it's a, talent, a team that far and away, I would say, has more talent offensively than Minnesota does defensively. I, I mean, I don't hesitate to say it's Ohio State's the top five team in the country. So it's going to be a tall test for them. I, I don't think if they get blown off the field, we can read too much into that just because of the, the talent gap. But I think if they hold their own, I think that's going to be a very promising start to the season for that group. Special teams, I guess we're hoping for okay. 
okay would be an improvement. I mean, people don't know this. Uh, Dragon Kisic actually had a pretty good year last year once he was finally able to, to start. And I think he missed two or three games at the start of the season uh, due to COVID. But they ended up ranking, I think, number one or two in the country in kickoff return yardage. Um, so that, I think, is is impressive. You know, we got to take the wins where we can find them on special teams. Uh, you are correct about punting and kicking. Uh, field goals were difficult at times. PATs were difficult at times. Punting, you know, we were all excited to get the Aussie punter, Mark Crawford, last year. But I think he definitely struggled a bit in transitioning to the American game. And hopefully after a full off season, he's feeling a little more comfortable, feeling a little bit better. Next year, I think he's – or this year, I think he's probably the starting punter. I don't know how much competition he's getting there. But, you know, hopefully he takes a step forward. Um, kicking, yeah, we got a couple transfers, I know, uh, from Kent State and a transfer from – Temple, I think it's Lockett from Kent State and Mobley from Temple are competing with Brock Walker, and I think Keisha's just in that battle too. Um, I mean, my minimum expectation is just, you know, make all your point after attempts. Field goals, if you can make it, you know, over – if you can make all your 30-yard uh, attempts, perfect. If you can make them past 40, even better. But, um, yeah, it's a that's been a sore spot, I think, for five, the past couple of years, especially last year. But uh, – it's optimistic that that group can find some consistency, stay healthy, and um, just get the hopefully get the basics down. I think it, it's kind of sad that that's the the floor expectation at this point. But uh, I mean, what more can you hope for? And like I said, hoping for okay. <laughs> that's really all you can. That's all you can do. That's all you can do, Chris. I appreciate uh, you setting the expectation there. Oh, uh, you know, I, I like to I like to try to keep it reasonable where I can. Um. I mean, golly, it's, it feels like we should have more to say about football. But honestly, this is kind of one of those off seasons, it feels like, where you just need to get to the games. It, I see it's been one of the strangest off seasons that I can remember. Uh, I mean, they, they lost two two guys from last, last year's team, basically. I mean, they lost a little bit more than that from just a couple of transfers, defections, but no one major. I mean, the big, big losses were Rashad Bateman and Benjamin St. Juiced and... I, they return so much experience. It, yeah, it's just it's tough to to have more stuff to talk about because like a lot of it is. I mean, there's guys that need to improve, need to get better that we don't know how good they're gonna be. But I mean, that that's the story of the team is most of the team is back. Which guys are gonna step up? Which guys are gonna improve? And I, I mean, that's the story of the season. There's just there's not a lot of newcomers really to talk about. So it's yeah, it's been probably the weirdest feeling off season I've ever had. Uh, this is completely not a factual, you know, inside knowledge based question. I'm just asking for a gut feel. Do we see uh, Chris Ottman Bell against Ohio State? I'd say no. Uh, I think in any situation like this, uh, you, well, everyone gets all optimistic that he's going to play, and then warm ups, he's on the sideline with a boot. I just said that I've learned not to get my hopes up, and I just think. You know, the report is that he sprained his ankle. Sprains are always tough, especially if he's using a boot. I mean, it was a fairly serious sprain. And I mean, less than a month probably until the opener when it when it first happened to him. So I think if I'm going for fans, I'm preparing for Daniel Jackson, Dylan Wright, hopefully to have themselves a game. All right. Uh, the Alliance, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, for those who... Didn't pay attention this afternoon. Uh, the co- the commissioners of each of those uh, conferences came out and said, hey, we have a plan for scheduling games together to improve our non-conference football schedules. And 
our non-conference men's and women's basketball schedules. And there was a list of like 10 different areas that they wanted to collaborate on improving, you know, gender equality and, uh, you know, social justice and uh, who knows what else. I, I ignored all that part because I no one believes they actually care about it. Um, at least I don't until proven otherwise. Token, token gestures aside, that's not generally a strong point of conference level or NCAA level, you know, um, behavior. Uh, but I was still kind of excited for the announcement because I was hoping that they might actually have a true scheduling agreement, something with some teeth to it, a plan. And what we got instead was we're not going to make teams break contracts they've already signed for their non-conference games. We're not going to dictate what conferences they schedule. We're encouraging some form of an alliance, but there's no contract. Just a lot of nothing. And so there really isn't, in my opinion, a lot to talk about here of substance. So I'm, I'm going to ask more of a hypothetical, which is, Andy, do you actually think this turns into anything? Or is this going to just fade away uh, down the memory hole like the last time the Pac-12 and Big Ten talked about setting up a scheduling alliance like eight years ago? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I mean, um, there's so much upheaval and there's so much turnover going on in college sports in the recent past and and yeah i mean the the these guys are coming out and saying this is what our plan is today but without any written agreements and anything signed you know three years from now four years from now i think what the landscape we're looking at might be completely different um you know it, it it'll be interesting because it's going to be a, a major change one way or the other i think i think the biggest thing that has the potential to keep this actually still being a possibility will be whatever ends up happening to the college football playoff because if the college football playoff eventually does expand to 12 teams then i think um then i think at least football wise talking about what what we're looking at here in in scheduling agreements and, and getting you know what sounds to be potentially two out of conference power five non-conference games a year potentially one with the pac-12 one with the acc um you know and dropping down to eight conference games in the big 10 you know i think that could potentially give uh give the big 10 teams a, a leg up when it comes to, to fighting for playoff spots and so i could see that being still something that might happen but um you know, there's just, just so much uncertainty in the in the fact that they talked about, you know, this is our plan, but we don't really have any timelines, and we're not going to throw out any existing contracts. And, I mean, just look at Minnesota. I mean, I think the Gophers have non-conference games scheduled all the way through, like, 2028. Um, you know, one of those being a home-and-home -home series with Mississippi State. Um so, you know, that would obviously limit how many, how many Power 5 non-conference games you're going to try and schedule in one year. Um, you know, they've still got a series with North Carolina coming up, which there's your, there's your ACC part of it come, going down the peak. But, uh, yeah, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Honestly, I think if, if things are going to kick in on this alliance scheduling faster, I think it's going to be on the basketball side, just because there's much more, uh, flexibility and, and non-conference games aren't scheduled nearly as far out. So I think arguably you could see some decent non-conference games, whether it be regarding home and homes with Pac-12 teams or, or with ACC teams potentially getting on the schedule in the next two or three years. And so, um, you know, if, if we're actually going to see anything come out of this in the, in the short term, I think that's where we're going to see it. Blake, 
I mean, your take? Any any chance at all that we see this actually come to fruition? Uh, I mean, uh, it's just a weird situation. It just seemed like guys trying to get out ahead of the conference realignment and the fact that, as Andy said, nothing formal was agreed to, no contracts. Uh, I mean, I don't take any of these guys at the word. I, I just think it's a – to me, it was just a PR move at this point, and I really don't know what to expect moving forward. I, I'm, honestly, I'm not pretty much weighed into it. Yeah, I just want my game at Washington, guys. Said it in my post. I just want a game at Husky Stadium. That's all I want. You can trash, just give me that, trash the scheduling agreement after that. I don't care. Just give me one game at Husky Stadium. Uh, okay, so the the kind of open question to me is what's going to happen to this season when it comes to, to COVID? Um, not so much for folks that are vaccinated. It's pretty clear that if you're vaccinated, uh, you're going to have access to sporting events and concerts and the like. Um, but there is definitely uh, a very consistent thread across the entertainment industry in college sports, I would say, is certainly part of the entertainment industry to start requiring either proof of COVID vaccination or a negative COVID test uh, within 72 hours of the event. And that's kind of the bare minimum in a lot of ways. Live Nation and the other major concert promoters, any venue they own is requiring that. Um, there are certain venues that have gone just fully vaccinated only, although that's definitely still appears to be the minority, but in the college sports world, LSU, uh, Louisiana state university of all places has come out and said, you have to have for home games as an LSU fan or a visiting fan, either a COVID proof of COVID vaccination or a negative test within 72 hours. And what I'm kind of wondering is, do any of you think that that's something that will get adopted by Minnesota or uh, anyone else in the Big Ten? Uh, and I'm just, just, just again, a hypothetical because there's no real way to read the tea leaves on this too well. Schools will sort of make decisions when they make them. Uh, but, you know, Blake, do you think that's something that we should be preparing for um, to see? Uh, I mean, for one thing, I'm shocked that the first school to do this is LSU. I mean, for a state like a program in a state like Louisiana and the Deep South and a football program like LSU to be able to do this, I, I don't see how any other university has an excuse unless like their government has mandated that they can't have a vaccine, passport, a vaccine mandate. Um, I honestly... Yeah. I don't know how widespread this will be. It's, I mean, I'm sure it's a controversial issue. I haven't really seen like what the reaction has been amongst Tiger fans to the the policy, but I mean, I'm I'm completely in support of it. I, I wish Minnesota had already done it. Um, I just think everyone should get vaccinated, uh, and if forcing people, and I, I'm not necessarily forcing, I'm just saying if, if if requiring that for our football game is how we get to more people vaccinated, I'm all for it. I just think whatever we can do to encourage people to get vaccinated we should be doing especially at large sporting events um i mean even though they're outdoors i think large crowds of people especially with the delta variant and its increased transmissibility i just think we need to get people vaccinated i know vaccination doesn't mean you won't get covid just means if you're if you get it you're not likely to be hospitalized and you're not likely to die um, i would think people would uh like those odds i certainly like them so i am fully in support of any other pro i mean i'm 
I props to LSU for doing it. Uh, I was completely unexpected. I hope more follow suit. I don't know. I'm kind of surprised it's come this close to the start of the season. I thought this might be something they might implement, you know, a month or more in advance since vaccinations can take, you know, there's three weeks between um, the two shots. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see if more will follow suit, but I, I honestly don't know. Andy, and I think Blake just touched on a really good point here. Is At this point, like, if Minnesota tried to implement this for Ohio State, I mean, we're basically looking at a complete crap show if they did. Like, separate from – I'm not talking about people reacting to it. I'm talking about I just don't think the university, the security staff, the gate staff would be in any way prepared or capable of handling – proof of vaccination or negative testing along with digital tickets along with a sellout in the first game. Like, I just think that would absolutely turn into a disaster. I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it. I'm just trying to get a sense from you. If you think, uh, you'd agree with me, if you think that would play into it, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I think at this point, I, I think the, we're, we're too close that I don't think anything will happen before Ohio State. Now, what that brings a whole another layer of controversy is, is maybe the university will go back and change their minds and say, actually, you know what, yeah, uh, as we get later in the season, um, especially as we see potentially what may happen after the state fair, and they go, you know what, yeah, actually, now we are going to require this. But then you'll have the people and go, well, why the hell didn't you do it? for your 50,000 seat sellout crowd against Ohio state. And now you're going to try and tell me you're going to do it for a 25,000 seat game against Miami, Ohio. I mean, that's where I think things are going to get a little testy and a little, a little complicated. Um, you know, the other thing I think will be interesting to see is, is now you have with the, uh, with the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine is you're having more and more schools come out and requiring the vaccine. Minnesota confirmed that they're requiring all students to be vaccinated. We saw Ohio State came out earlier today and said they're requiring now all students, faculty, and staff to be vaccinated by mid-October. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more schools doing that. And, you know, the question will be is, is, Will there be any any weird late, um, you know, player losses because of that? Now I wouldn't expect anything main. Um, it looks like there's a player from Rutgers who hasn't even played in two years who who came out and said, since Rutgers is making everybody get the vaccine, I'm going to transfer because I'm not going to get the vaccine. You know, he's he's a nobody who hasn't played in two seasons, whatever. But, you know, we know Minnesota is at, you know, above 90%. We know Ohio State is probably up that way as well, too. It'll be interesting to see if you get a major name in one of these schools where one, all of a sudden, you know, the, these schools start requiring the vaccine by midseason and, and that person's just like, nope, I'm out. Um, you know, in which good luck to him trying to, to latch on with another another big school to play with or, or things like that. But, um I do think it's a, it's a situation in flux, you know. Uh, I'll be honestly kind of interested to see, uh, obviously, um, the University of Minnesota has their indoor mask mandate when volleyball starts here in a week. Uh, I think the first home game is, is a week week from now, either Wednesday, Wednesday night, I believe. Um, you know, in theory, all 6,000 people in the PAV are supposed to be wearing masks. How will that be enforced? Uh, will everybody be dealing with it? Same thing, obviously, we've got still a month or so, but uh, the college hockey season starts first weekend in October. Uh, both the men and the women are hosting games. As of right now, unless something drastically changes, uh, everybody's going to have to wear masks into, into Mariucci and Ritter. 
how will that be enforced? How will, you know, that play out? Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be a lot of uncertainty, but, uh, but at least it, it, you know, we can go to games. You know, I'm will I'm willing to deal with a, a a lot of mitigation practices to be able to be in the seats. So damn straight. Um, you know, it, it it's a hell of a lot better than it was was last year, and I'm sure you'll have your vocal minority who will who will throw fit whatever restrictions may be in place. But uh, I think the vast majority of of fans will do whatever they need to do to do, to get their butts in the seats for this season. Well, you mentioned hockey. Um... I'm actually going to use this as a, a, a transition right to kind of hockey transfer and captain news. So captains were announced today, and as far as I could tell, Andy, it's the same captains as last year? Yeah, uh, obviously with Minnesota basically bringing everybody back. Um, uh, the, the three captains last year, Sammy Walker was the captain, I think Ben Myers and Jack LaFontaine both were assistant captains. Uh, this year they got all promoted, so all three are going to be tri-captains, where the C, uh, no A's for Minnesota this year, just all three C's. Um, with this, Sammy Walker becomes, in the history, the 101 year of history of Gopher Hockey, he becomes the first ever three-time captain. Um, so that's that's a pretty impressive. Uh, Jack Lafontaine is is the first Gopher to wear a C for Gopher goalie to wear a C on his uniform in well I think some significant time. Um, you know I, I I don't know if honestly I'm sure Minnesota has had a goalie wear the C at some point or another, but it's been it's been a long long time. It's long so, enough. It's long enough that you can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. So. Um, you know that that and obviously it, it makes sense. Walker is is a, definitely a leader in this team, and, and the fact that you know he's a three time captain shows that. Jack Lafontaine leads by example. Uh, you know for what he did last year to get the Gophers to to where they're at, and hopefully he'll come back and have just as good a year this year. And then Ben Myers is uh, you know he's another one of those sort of quiet leaders, um, but apparently is a is really really good locker room guy. So I think obviously. Uh, good picks there in continuity, and and I think uh, you know it's another thing to check off the list as we get uh, closer and closer to hockey season, which is a scary thing to say. But uh, the fact that yeah, the first hockey game is um, five weeks from this weekend is insane. Uh, transfer news. Well, the one big transfer. Uh, Go for women's hockey. Uh, Savannah Norcross, who was Boston College's leading scorer last year, is transferred to the Gophers, and she'll be a senior this year for Minnesota. Um, it's a big transfer. Normally, we're hearing Wisconsin getting the big transfers or Ohio State getting the big transfers. Minnesota finally goes out to the transfer portal and actually brings in a, a quality talent who will make a significant impact uh, on the roster next season. And, and the fact of the matter is they need it. Uh, their two leading scorers from last year, Grace Zumwinkle and Abby Murphy, both are going to be uh, sequestered with the U.S. Uh, national team. Uh, they're going to be at, at the Olympic training camp working out with them. So, you know, Zumwinkle is pretty much a shoe-in to make the make the team. Uh, Murphy is probably a little bit more of a bubble prospect. But best-case scenario, you get her back for for second semester, January, February, um, you're going to need some, some scoring on this offense and bringing Norcross in will really sort of close the gap. Otherwise they're going to have to make up, you know, 30 some goals from last season that aren't going to be on the roster this year when 
Wisconsin, while they're move, losing a couple people, their best players are Canadian who didn't make the Olympic team. So Daryl Watts is back for Wisconsin. Sophie Shirley is back for Wisconsin. So the Badgers, uh, two-time defending NCAA champions, will be loaded. Ohio State is bringing back most of their roster. They're going to be loaded. So uh, the Gophers need to go out and, and find an impact scorer, and, and it looks like they did. So hopefully uh, that will help close the gap between the Gophers and, and the Buckeyes and the Badgers in the WCHA this fall. Well, you might be wondering to yourself, you know, U Street tossed out a, a hey y'all at the beginning, and I haven't really heard from him since then. Well, that's because we've been saving the best for last. Street, what's your uh, impression about uh, the latest uh, verbal commitment that uh, Coach Ben Johnson has picked up, uh, Pharrell Payne um, committing to the Gophers? He's a big, he's a post player. It looks like he has some skill. How much of that skill in terms of could he theoretically be a stretch for or is he always going to be in the post is a little bit unclear. This is a very good pickup for Ben Johnson. A couple of reasons why it's a good pickup. The first one is Payne is a Minnesota kid, so one of us, one of us, etc. And in particular, at least from from a recruiting standpoint ben johnson's primary thing was to come in and try and lock down the border and get all the best commits you can get that would be of this kind of ilk so that's one thing's good secondly pharrell Payne is almost certainly going to be a reasonable four star when things come out and is young for his class so he's only 17 right now which potentially means he has some more growing to do be good could also you know growth spurts are are great it could also mean that if he's already this strong right now still being young still got a load of potential left so unquestionably a good pickup for the gophers they're still gonna suck this season but the recruiting class is (laughs) is looking decent oh yeah it's not gonna be great probably but uh what you gonna do? Uh, well, I guess that's really it, guys. I'm just excited. We when we record next week, it will be game week. It'll actually be game week. This is good news. I'm glad. I'm glad for it. I'm glad to be excited, and uh, I'm glad for all of you who uh, listen to the podcast on uh, the regular basis. Stay tuned for more next week as we get into predicting what we think will happen against Ohio State. In the meantime, go Gophers. Sky Yuma, row the boat.